Hello beautiful souls, welcome to Blooming Mamahood, a podcast about empowering and celebrating mamas. This is your host, Lori. I'm a fertility, prenatal, postnatal, and kids yoga teacher, birth doula, childbirth educator, and mama. Each episode is created to help empower and inform you on your journey through mamahood. I am so grateful you are spending this present moment with me today. Let's dive in. Hello everyone and welcome back to Blooming Mamahood. In today's solo episode, I wanted to share with you all 15 things that I wish I would have known about pregnancy. It's kind of some advice for my pregnant self or my TTC self about to get pregnant and things like that. Just things I wish I had known and things that they don't tell you. Things that uh, you don't necessarily expect or know when you go into pregnancy that I would have found very useful to know and hopefully you will find useful as well. So um, I decided to do this episode this week. It wasn't what, re- what I had planned, but after doing the TTC one, like kind of uh, what I wish I would have known before TTC, um, I just decided I wanted to do one about pregnancy as well because I had a lot of thoughts about that. So I decided to make a list of 15 things. Obviously, there's a million more as I, a million more I could have put in there probably, but um, let's just stick with the 15 today. And um, you can find me on Instagram if you want to chat about them. If that's uh, you have questions or that's something that you've experienced and you want to kind of talk about it, I'm super happy to talk to you. Uh, and my Instagram handle is Blooming Mamahood. All right, so let's just hop right in. Number one, morning sickness can be a lot worse than you would ever expect. Um, that's something that I've had to learn the hard way when I got pregnant and had hyperemesis gravidarum, which is the worst kind of morning sickness that you can have where you're like throwing up a lot um, and you lose weight and things like that. So I ended up having to go to the emergency room to get rehydrated because I couldn't keep anything down and I was throwing up so much and it was just very awful. Um, you're kind of used to seeing the mild morning sickness where you just have nausea and a little a little um puking left and right but like nothing too serious you can kind of go on with your day um but that's definitely not what happened to me and that's something that could happen to anybody so that's something that's um interesting to know and prepare for maybe mentally a little bit um number two is you can't see your provider until you're eight to twelve weeks most times uh, so if you have a history of miscarriages, sometimes they might see you in before, but usually um, it's closer to the end of your first trimester that you'll be able to start working with an OB or a midwife. I did mention that one in the TTC one, but I thought it was important to mention it in the pregnant one as well because uh, that was kind of surprising for me and a little bit anxiety triggering and upsetting because once I found out I was pregnant, I wanted to you know, do everything right and have the support and realizing that I wasn't supposed to have any support for the first third of it uh, was a little bit interesting and surprising and confusing because so much was already going on and I did not know what to do. Like when I did start getting really sick, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. Um, So I did uh, go to a walk-in clinic and then to the emergency room afterwards to get rehydrated because I did not have a provider yet. Um, So that's something that's interesting to know. 
Number three is the early ultrasounds are transvaginal ultrasounds and they can be quite uncomfortable. That's something I did not know. So in my head, like you see in movies again and in vlogs, you just see people have the ultrasound on their bellies, right? And you just expect that's what you're going in for when they send you for an ultrasound at eight weeks or something like that sometimes, right? Um, so that's usually the dating ultrasound at 8 to 10 weeks, I believe. Or if you have any earlier ones than that, uh, they will have to be transvaginal ultrasounds because your uterus is too low in your pelvis to be able to do the external one on your belly. And so, um, yeah, they can be really uncomfortable because they really have to go deep in there and they angle it all kinds of different ways. It's really, really unpleasant. And that's just me putting it mildly. It actually can hurt a lot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's something to know. So, I personally have made a decision next time to probably skip that ultrasound. I mean, I might change my mind then because I'll want the reassurance of seeing a heartbeat and things like that. But as of right now, this was unpleasant enough that I don't want to do it if I don't have to. Number four is it can take a really long time before you feel kicks. So again, I don't know if it's in movies that they tell you that. I can't really tell you where I got this idea from. But in my head, you were going to feel things quite early on. And sometimes, especially in your first pregnancy, you might not feel anything for upwards of 20 weeks. So you could be like halfway through your pregnancy and still not have felt a kick and it's normal. Usually with subsequent pregnancies, you will feel it a little bit earlier, but depending on where the placenta is. So if it's uh, in the front of your belly as opposed to in the back, uh, then you won't feel it as much. So that's having... Um, interior placenta if you've heard that term so if you have a placenta in the front you will feel more muffled movements so you might not feel them as early and then it's just hard sometimes to even identify them at first because they're so small and yeah so that's a little bit stressful as well sometimes to just not feel anything but that's totally normal to not feel anything until like 20 plus weeks sometimes Number five is you might get a lot of vaginal discharge. Um, again, something that can be unpleasant to talk about, but hey, we're all girls here. So um, during pregnancy, you your hormones are a little bit heightened, and so you produce all kinds of stuff, including excess fluids. You'll sweat more, most likely. Your sweat might change smells. Um you might drool when you sleep, uh, but also you will have an increase in vaginal discharge, uh, most likely. And that's normal so long as it's clear and odorless. If it does have a tinge of color and if it smells foul, you might want to check with your provider, uh, make sure you don't have anything. But it's completely normal to have increased vaginal discharge during your pregnancy. Number six is getting a midwife can be a race, at least here in Canada. I know in the United States, depending on where you live, it's probably different a lot and there's different kinds of midwives there. Um, I did make a post on Blooming Birth Education about the different kinds of midwives in the different countries, including the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, um, and around the world. So if you want to check that out, it will be linked in your show notes. But specifically for us here in Canada, um, midwifery is still kind of the beginning stages and there's not that many midwives depending on where you are. And so they're in high demand. 
since it's becoming a little bit more well-known and mainstream. And so um, in order to get a midwife, what I've heard from the birth community here in Edmonton, you have to apply as soon as you find out you're pregnant. So usually around like four, five, six weeks. If you wait any longer than that, chances are all the midwives will be booked for your due date and you won't be able to get one. So um, that's something to keep in mind. Um, depending on where you are again because it's probably not like that everywhere I know in the UK most people deliver with midwives so obviously those are way more accessible and uh, same with New Zealand and Australia I believe so it really depends where you are but uh, getting a midwife might be a race especially if you're here in Canada and I know I have a lot of Canadian listeners so that's why I mentioned that one Um, and again you don't have to get a midwife but if you want to get one uh, that's something to keep in mind number seven is you will have to learn a whole new language so the whole when you get pregnant the first time you will hear all kinds of words you've never heard before you'll hear things like Braxton Hicks and Meconium and oh man I don't know you'll hear about doulas and midwives and what the heck is the difference between the two? For some people, that's not something you know. Uh, I did also make a post about that. Um, or actually a post about doulas and then a post about midwives. And you can see the differences. So those will be linked also in the show notes. Um, you'll hear about gestational age or gestation. You'll hear about cervix, placenta, pelvic floor, embryo, fetus induction presentation rupture of membrane colostrum breach birth forceps all kinds of things and those are don't even include any of the conditions and things that can happen like eclampsia hemorrhage preeclampsia anemia group b strep gestational diabetes ectopic pregnancies hyperemesis gravidarum pap smear placenta previa spina bifida all kinds of things like that so um you'll learn to speak a whole new language you'll have to learn all of these things uh or maybe not all of them but most of them so what i actually uh, decided to do is go ahead and create a free pdf um kind of pregnancy and baby lingo for you all it's probably not complete honestly because there's so many words but um, it does have a whole list of terms that you may encounter in your pregnancy that you had never heard of before. So if you want to download that, it will be linked in the show notes as well. It's 100% free and hopefully it can help someone out. Number eight is you can switch providers if you don't feel comfortable. So that's something that people sometimes forget. They think once you've got a provider, you kind of stuck with them. But in reality, you can switch anytime. Um, Some providers won't take you if you're too far into your pregnancy, but you'll always find somebody who will be able to deliver your baby um, no matter when. So that's something to keep in mind. If you really have an issue with your provider, you can switch. Number nine is the burden of education will unfortunately fall on you. So the way the whole thing is set up, it's kind of your responsibility to learn about everything. So you can attend childbirth education classes, you can get a doula, you can just ask around for people who have experience, um, but your provider will most likely not really have the time to guide you through all of this. They will ask you some guided decisions for you to make that they need to know about, but if you want uh, to make a birth plan, they don't have the time to walk you through it if you want to 
really understand certain procedures they will sometimes have the time to explain them to you pretty well uh, but they might also be biased about them so you might want to do some independent research um, and that's when having a doula comes in handy they will help you out with that a lot if you have a birth doula and you can also attend childbirth education classes there's different kinds and there's some independent ones and there's some specific branded ones um, so you have to figure out which one you want to go to and um, things like that but you will have to find classes on your own find information on your own and it won't just be handed to you basically and kind of along with that uh, number 10 is decision fatigue and information overload is real so during pregnancy it can be really uh, easy to get overwhelmed with the amount of information out there and the number of decisions you have to make you know choosing a car seat and a stroller is really hard everybody's got a favorite one everybody's got an opinion and truth of the matter is it doesn't matter all that much they're all good enough they all passed tons of safety tests but uh, making decisions in those regards and just deciding every single tiny little thing it's worse than buying a custom home honestly <laughs> um so yeah decision fatigue is real it's really difficult um and it's it can be very overwhelming and same with information overload you will get bombarded with information telling you you should get an epidural you shouldn't get an epidural you should do this you should do that there's just a million different things where there are very polarizing basically uh, opinions and you have to make a decision on which one you want to do or sometimes you don't even have to make a decision but uh, you will get a ton of information on how this is good for you or this is really bad for you and things like that so it can be very very overwhelming and unfortunately I don't have that much advice <laughs> in that regard because I did get extremely overwhelmed by all of this but I would say if you can try to meditate try to tune out as much as the unnecessary information as possible um, of course there's tons of decisions to be made and everything um, I personally have read like a bajillion books but I don't recommend reading that many books because at some point it's very repetitive uh, or you can get very polarizing opinions and it just gets confusing I strongly suggest looking into more evidence-based uh, information when you are trying to make decisions there's good books like Crib Sheet by Emily Oster um, and a few others that I can link in the show notes that I can't think of off the top of my head as well as evidencebasedbirth.com that have a ton of uh, research information to help you uh, and Expecting Better as well by Emily Oster that one's about pregnancy and then Crib Sheet is about babies but yes, if you want to make more evidence-based decisions uh, definitely check the list uh, in the show notes out Number 11, you might not be able to eat as healthy as you planned or work out as much as you wanted. And there are a lot of physical ailments you might experience that you were not prepared for. So let's unpack that one a little bit. Everybody tells you to eat as healthy as humanly possible and to really watch your diet when you're pregnant because everything you eat is what grows your baby and you want your baby to grow well. Yes, do your best. But remember that your best might not be very great, especially if you have extreme 
uh, morning sickness or food aversions. There's just so much going on. It can be really hard to nourish yourself really well. And what you need to remember <laughs> is that your baby will always get what they need first. So even if you get the bare minimum, your baby will get what they need and you'll get what's left over. So you might be worse off, but your baby will most likely be fine. And I'm not saying... <laughs> you know, just go to McDonald's every day, <laughs> obviously not, but just do your best, but don't beat yourself up if you can't eat a variety of vegetables and fruits and proteins and things like that, just do what you can, uh, but be reasonable, if it makes you sick, it makes you sick, um, same with working out and being active during pregnancy, yes, it's recommended to be active, being overly active can be a problem but also sometimes you have a lot of physical ailments that arise especially later on in the pregnancy with the excess weight and the change in um, posture the change in uh, center of gravity and all these things can really affect your physical health and make it close to impossible to actually be able to do heavy activity at some point in the pregnancy i had chronic pain and um I couldn't stand for more than five minutes without having Braxton Hicks and I would have to bend over. So I was not going to go to the gym and work out. Like that just was not possible. So that's something to keep in mind. Like this might happen. And again, you might develop some kind of physical discomforts that will hinder um, what you can and cannot do. And that's totally okay. It can be upsetting. It can be frustrating. Um... But again, just do your best, do what you can, and it will be okay. It will all be okay. Talking about everything being okay, let's move to number 12. You should make a contingency plan or multiple contingency plans for your birth. And what I mean by that is, yes, you may want to make a birth plan or birth wishes or birth preferences, whatever you want to call them. You want to plan for what you want, but you should also have some contingencies. What let's say you don't want an epidural. What happens if you do need an epidural or when would you be okay with an epidural? Um, when it comes to inductions, okay, you don't want an induction, but what if you do need one? What then? Right? You don't want a C-section? Sure. What happens if you end up needing one? You want to be prepared for all those hypothetical situations. How um, will you handle any of those? Um, and yeah, I know a lot of people advocate for just planning for your perfect birth. But reality is there's very little you can control in your birth. And so um, you, if you want to be as prepared as possible, you have to consider all the options and all the things that could go wrong basically so i strongly suggest making contingency plans for things going awry number 13 is don't buy too many newborn clothes they may never fit newborn clothes usually fit up to seven pounds but a full-term baby can be anywhere between maybe six to twelve pounds or something like that 12 pound baby is very big don't worry that doesn't happen very often but the point is that some babies are born above seven pounds and will never fit into newborn clothes so specifically for newborn clothes i suggest getting the bare minimum in case you do have a small baby but um not go too crazy about it because they might not fit it and if they do they might not fit it very long so start with very little and get more if you need to number 14 is 
definitely get as much sleep as you can while you can. Resting in pregnancy is underrated. I know everybody tells you to and you're just like telling them off. You're just like, you know, I can't sleep. I have to pee every 10 minutes uh, <laughs> and things like that. Like I get it. Um, but talking from uh, the month of a six month old right now. Yes, get as much sleep as you can. Even if it's not as much as you would want or as much as people tell you to, just get all the sleep you can. Take the naps when you can and just enjoy sleep as much as possible <laughs> and finally number 15 no matter how well or awry your birth goes remember it's only one day there isn't much you can control about it and you have a whole lifetime to be a good parent i'm saying this one specifically for myself but i'm sure a lot of other moms need to hear it as well i uh, even after six months, I'm still working on accepting how my birth went. If you want to know more about that, I did make an episode that will be in the show notes. But I felt like because things didn't go well and didn't go how I planned, that I had failed my kid and that um, it made me a bad mom. That I started with already a uh, big stain on my mommy record. And um, it's really, really tough to feel like that as a new mom so even though again always easier said than done with anything parenthood related it's always easier said than done i tell you that but yeah birth is only one day some people will have incredible births that will be the best day of their lives and some people won't and that's okay um how your birth unfolds is not your fault and doesn't make you a bad parent at all it's one day your baby won't remember it um and you have done and are doing everything you can for that child you have done so your whole pregnancy and you will continue to do so for the rest of your life so don't feel bad if you have a more difficult birth and if something goes wrong because you are a good parent and caring about these things makes you a good parent, you know? I'm not saying that you need to worry to be a good parent, but the fact that you worry about being a good parent makes you a good parent already. So, I will leave it to that for today. If you have any other advice for pregnant mamas that I haven't shared, make sure to head over to the blog uh, and go onto this podcast episode in the comment section and add them there. Or you can email me and maybe I'll make a part two, whatever works for you. Um, but yeah, those are the advice I had for you all today. I hope you enjoy them. Thanks for listening and I will see you with more episodes later. Thank you so much for listening to Blooming Mamahood. If you want to continue the conversation, head over to our Instagram at Blooming Mamahood and you can message me privately or head over to bloomingmamahood.com slash podcast and select today's episode to chat in the comment section. If you love this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcast and share it with your friends. If you would like to see more of my content, you can find me on Instagram at bloomingmamahood or visit my website at bloomingmamahood.com for more empowering and educational content about all stages of mamahood. Until next time, let yourself bloom into the unique and beautiful mama that you are. Stay kind to each other, sending love and light.